Welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're with us. Looks like there's a few more here with us today. Would you welcome everybody online and on TV? So glad you guys could make it. So cool. Uh, we are doing a series called Under the Surface, and today we're going to talk about stress. Is anybody stressed out? Raise your hands. Have played home as well. Okay, this message isn't going to help you at all. You're probably going to leave. I'm just kidding. I'm hoping that something is said today uh, that would be beneficial to you. Let me start off by telling you a story about a guy. He was on his 10-speed bicycle. He decided to travel from Phoenix to Flagstaff. He got to Black Canyon City, and the mountains were too great. He just couldn't go anymore. So he gets off his bike, and he starts thumbing it along the way, trying to get a ride. Well, for three hours, he's thumbing it, and nobody is stopping. Finally, a guy in a Corvette stops. Of course, there's no way that the bicycle is going to fit inside of a Corvette. And so the guy driving the Corvette said, listen, I, I can't get your bike in here, but I do have a rope, and I can tie one end of the rope to the bumper and the other end to your 10-speed bicycle. And if you want to ride your bicycle, then you, I can pull you along the way. Uh, and if I get going too fast, just honk the horn on your bike, and, and, and I'll slow down. Well, the bicyclist didn't know what else to do. He didn't want to be stranded out there. So he said, all right, sounds good to me. So they tied one end to the bumper and one end to the bicycle, and he got on the bike, and away they went. And for the first 40 miles, it was picture perfect. Everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. But as they're cruising down the highway, another Corvette blew by the Corvette with the bicycle, and that guy driving forgot all about the guy with the bicycle behind him, and he put the pedal to the metal not to be outdone by the other Corvette. And it wasn't too long, both Corvettes, were going over a hundred miles an hour. Well, they got through a speed trap, and the, the officer radioed ahead to the officer who was going to pull everybody over. He says, you got two Corvettes coming in at over 120 miles an hour, and you're not going to believe this, but there's a guy in a bicycle honking to pass. <laughs> now, friends, how many times have you felt like the guy on the bicycle? You know what I'm saying? And right now, during this season, we say, oh, everything's great, everything's fine, I'm wonderful, couldn't be better, you know? And you're like that duck on the water, and you're just paddling as hard as you can on the surface, you look calm and cool and collected, but underneath, you're just going as fast as you possibly can, just as stressed out. Friends, today we're going to talk about stress, today we're going to talk about hurry, and I thought we'd have a little bit of fun by doing a hurry test. I'm going to go over to the big board, and at home you can play along with me, you can also play along with me just by raising your hand here in the room. I'm going to give you a series of questions, if you've ever done these things, I just want you to raise your hand up, confession is good for the soul, okay? Here we go. Have you ever eaten a meal while you were driving? Let me see the hands. Yeah, that was unheard of 30 years ago because of fast food and choking pukes. Now we eat on the run all of the time. That was most everybody in the room. In fact, when we did this survey this past week, I think 92% of people said that they've eaten while they've driven, and the other 8% were obviously lying, okay? So that's just the way that goes. How about this one? Have you ever hung up on someone while you were still saying goodbye to them or while they were saying goodbye to you? Anybody done that? Wow, you are a bunch of rude people. I'll tell you that right now. Let's go to the next one. Have you ever put your makeup on or shaved while driving to work? Let me see. Okay, if you've done both, we need to see you after the service, okay? <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Your normal tendency when you see a yellow light is to accelerate instead of braking. Yeah, that should be 100% of you. I've seen you drive, okay? Thanks for putting that sagebrush sticker on your car, okay? I appreciate that as well. 
How about this one? Have you ever thought during a sermon how much longer? <laughs> what? I didn't ask you to raise your hand yet. Some of you are a little too eager to answer this one. How many have done that? How much longer is he going to go? Let me see. Raise. Don't be shy. Don't put your hand up high. Okay, you don't have to be that unshy, okay? I've, I'm just going to imagine for a second that somebody else was speaking that particular weekend. At least that's what I'm going to tell myself when I put my head on my pillow tonight and cry. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going extra long now because of that, just to let you know. How about this one? How many of you have ever changed clothes? change clothes while driving from one destination to another destination. Anybody been pulled over in your underwear and a golf shoe? Just had a, I don't want to know. Don't, don't put your hand up. I don't, that's too much information. All right. Have you ever read the cliff notes for a book report instead of reading? Let me see the cheaters. How many cheaters do we got out? Man, there's a bunch of you. I tell you what, no wonder Cliff is still in business. How about this one? Do you have kids? Do your three kids think their first name is either come on, hurry up, or let's go? Okay? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. We, we play this game all the time. We hurry and we rush and we run over here and we run over there and we're so stressed out. And for a brief amount of time, we had the stay-at-home order. Things seemed to calm down just a little bit for us. But now the things are starting to open up again. What are we finding? We're finding our schedule just as hectic and as hurried as it was before. So here's the question I got to ask you. What good thing can come in your life when you're living it at Mach 2 speed? I mean, when you're going really hard and heavy and you're running over here and running over there, what of quality can really happen in your life? Can your marriage find new levels of intimacy at Mach 2, Mach 3, Mach 4 speed? Can your friendships have new levels of, of, of depth and, and intimacy when you're thinking about what you want to say or you're thinking about where you have to go, here's my question. How can you know the heart of a child when you don't have time to listen to all their gobbledygook stories so you can finally get to the story of what's really going on in their life when you're too busy and too hurried to just sit down and listen to what's really going on? Let's take it up a notch. How in the world can you have a deep level of intimacy with God when you're running at breakneck speed? How in the world can you confess sin deeply when you never take the time to pray? How can you find yourself being more and more sensitive to the still small voice of God when you're listening to all the other voices that are around you? Here's what we're going to do today. i got a homework assignment for you. So when you go home, I want you to answer two questions. And then I want you to try one new practice that maybe you've given up on somewhere along the way. And I think if you can answer these two questions and do this one new practice, I'm hoping that you and I will be able to get some traction in this area of our life. Here's the first question that you need an answer to, a compelling answer to. Here's the question. Why am I living this way? You've got to slow down long enough to say, why in the world am I living this way? Just out of curiosity, does anybody here have a hard time saying no? Raise your hand if you have a hard time saying no. That's good news. We're asking for money today. <laughs> just, just kidding around. We're not. But a lot of you have a hard time saying no because you don't want to let anybody else down. And so you're running over here and you're running over here and you're doing this and you're doing that because you just haven't learned the ability to say no. Why in the world are you living this way? 
Who, who in the world are you trying to impress? What are, what are you trying to do? What, what is the outcome on all this? What are you trying to prove? Why is it hold so hard for you to say no? Why do you take on so much? I, I think the truth is, is if we looked at, looked at the questions and we gave ourselves a real answer to these things, we might reveal what is really going on that pushes us to these extremes. See, for some of us, the reason you live a really stressed out and hurried life is because of pride. Somewhere along the way, you believe that you can't trust in anybody else, that nobody else can come through for you. And so if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. You can't delegate anything to anybody else. And so it's all going to be on you. And no wonder you're so stressed out. You're taking on more and more and more and run over here and run over there. And you can't give anything away because they can't do it as well as you can do it. You're holding on to your life. You know that God can't bless you anymore when you're holding on to your life this way? It's when you let your life go, when you let others lead, you let other people have an opportunity to make a difference. When you let it go, God can then heap blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon you. But many of us, we hold on to everything because we don't trust anybody else because no one can do it as well as you. Look at what the Bible says here about pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. A lot of you are fallen because you can't count on anybody else. You can't, all you can count on is yourself. It's pride that's getting you. For others of us, it's, it's envy that's got us. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Remember we talked a little bit about envy last week? Talked about the fact that it's not just the fact that we want something, but we're a little bit upset that somebody else has got it that we wish they didn't have it, so it gets us all mad and angry. And so we become envious, and you know you become envious. You know the sin of envy has raised its ugly head in you when you start playing the comparison game, when you start com comparing your life with someone else's life and what they have with what, with what you have. And, and here's my question. Where do we learn this comparison game? Because we didn't come out of the womb with the comparison game, right? We weren't sitting there in the hospital nursery looking around going, my blanket's better than your blanket, right? We weren't doing that because everybody's blanket was the same. What, what happened to us somewhere along the way that we started comparing with other people and we said, you know what, I'm a little shy on what they have and I want what they've got and I want to blow them by. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses, it's blowing the doors off of the Joneses. Where do we learn this? We didn't learn in elementary school because nobody cared what anybody had in elementary school. You didn't care about somebody else's clothes in elementary school. I mean, my goodness, we came to school, our hair was sticking out like a rooster crow in the back, you know, boogers were coming out of our nose. We hadn't brushed our teeth in a week. The bath we never saw, you know what I'm saying? We were gross in elementary school. When did it happen for us? It was middle school. Worst years of your life, middle school. That's when you started to notice who had hygiene and who didn't. That's when you began to notice who had the cool clothes and who didn't have the cool clothes. When I was in middle school, Izod shirts were big. Remember Izod shirts? Had to have that dumb alligator. Remember the alligator? And I remember going to the store, trying to find an Izod shirt because I didn't have an Izod shirt and everybody who was anybody had an Izod shirt on. I had to get myself that alligator. I still remember going to my mom one day and saying, Mom, can I get an Izod shirt? Can I get a shirt with the alligator on it? She said, do you know how expensive those shirts are? 
I said, Mom, everybody who's cool has got an alligator on their shirt. She said, we can't afford an alligator on your shirt. That's ridiculous that we'd pay extra money for a simple logo on a shirt. I said, but the shirts are nice. It's got an alligator. She wouldn't have any of it. So you know what my mom did? She went to Sears. She went to Sears. She bought me a shirt with a fox on it. <laughs> Walking around the school hallway, middle school. Everybody got an alligator. I got a fox. My mom gave me the shirt. She was so proud. She said, listen, the reason it's got a fox on it is because you are. <laughs> it's not helpful when your mom calls you that. You understand what I'm saying right now? We start playing the comparison game, right? I, I got to have more than they have. So we work and we stress and we strain and we overdo ourselves because we've just got to have more and more and more and more and more than everybody else. Remember I told you last week, envy's a close cousin to greed. For some of us, the reason you're so hurried and so stressed out, I know you don't want to admit it, is because you're just stinking greedy. And you just think that the ultimate goal is to somehow be better than everybody else and have more than everybody else. And you, you just want just a little bit more. Look, look what the Bible says here, Ecclesiastes 4.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. That's true, isn't it? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Do you remember when you told yourself, when I make this amount of money, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied? And now you're making that amount of money and it's not enough? And so what do you want? You want just a little bit more than you currently have. We keep changing our lifestyle based upon our income. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Let me tell you a story of William Randolph Hearst. You ever heard that name, William Randolph Hearst? This guy was unbelievable. He had a house, ready for this, 72,000 square feet. That's a big honking house. And inside this house, he had unbelievable museum exhibits. He had, he'd gone throughout the entire world just picking up one artifact and one beautiful thing after another. He had priceless works of art inside this 72,000-square-foot structure. He had Egyptian statues for, dated 3,500 years ago. He had tapestries. He had hand-carved ceilings. It was, it was an absolute gorgeous thing. For 88 years, William Hearst Randolph collected his stuff. And then do you know what he did? He died, and he left it all behind. He spent his whole life filling up 72,000 square feet. Now, no doubt what he collected was the high-dollar stuff. But you and I, we're just collecting the highlights of our garage sale five years from now. You understand that, right? And only a fool would work themselves to death and stress themselves out for stuff that's just going to end up in a landfill in five or ten years. Why do we live this way? Maybe it's because we're seeking the approval of everybody else. Maybe your problem is that you are a people pleaser and you can't seem to say no. Write this down if you're taking notes. The more you attempt to please others, the less pleased you'll be with yourself. Let me say that again because that was good. The more you attempt to please others, the less pleased you'll be with yourself. Why is that? Because you'll lose your identity. You'll lose God's plan and God's purpose for your life. You'll be so busy fulfilling everybody else's plan and purpose, you won't have time for why God placed you on this earth. 
And I think that's one of the main reasons so many people are so stinking miserable. They can't say no to anybody else. God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so does everybody else. And the question is, is whose plan do you really want to live for? That's why we admire Jesus so much, because Jesus wasn't a people pleaser. Jesus said no to people all the time because he had one agenda, and that was the agenda of his heavenly Father. And none of the other stuff even mattered. None of the other stuff counted. And so he said no to opportunities all of the time because he just was living his life for an audience of one. Jesus also knew that you couldn't please everybody else. That when you try to be a people pleaser, you're just playing a loser's game because you'll never be in a position where everybody is satisfied with you and everybody is happy with you, and I don't care how much you take on. You're trying to attempt something in your life that Jesus never attempted to do. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees have come to Jesus, and they're getting ready to question him. They're going to try to trick him once again. But I like the preface before the question that they ask as to what they say about how Jesus lives his life. Let's look at it. They said, teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Why did he not try to fulfill everybody's agenda for him? Because he only cared about one thing. He cared about an audience of one. He just wanted to be in perfect step with what the will of the Father was. And he knew if he was going and tossed about by other people's agendas and other people's purposes, he would never accomplish the task that he was put on this earth to accomplish. And so it is for you and for me. Why are you so stressed out? Why is it when I started this message and said, how many of you could really use a message on stress? Almost every hand in, this, in, in the room went up. Well, why is that? Why are you living your life this way? Is it pride? Is it envy? Is it greed? Is it the approval of other people? Maybe it's another reason. But at some point in time, before you put your head on your pillow tonight, you need to spend some time with God and say, God, answer this question for me. Why am I living this way? Because I hate it. I hate not being able to sleep at night. I hate being stressed out. I hate being anxious. Reveal to me what it is. And then repent. You say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. God, help me to live my life focused on you. May I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And may I run the race that he has set before me to run. Not someone else's race. But the race he said in my heart to run. May I be laser focused with your plan and your purpose for my life. Second question before you go to bed. When all is said and done, answer this one. What's really going to matter in life? What's going to count? What's going to last? Luke chapter 10, Jesus goes over to the house of Mary and Martha. And he's going to have dinner with them. And uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha, you probably know the story, is running around trying to make all the preparations. And I can just imagine, because Mary isn't having any of this, you know, helping with the preparations, she just wants to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. That's all she wants to do. And I can imagine Martha kind of looking around the kitchen, kind of giving her the snake eye, you know what I'm talking about? I can get in here now and help me. She's getting more and more upset, you know. She gets to the point where she's so upset that she tells on her sister right in front of Jesus. Look at what happens. She said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, 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 the Lord answered. 
You're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen was better. And it won't be taken from her. Jesus says, hey, there's some good things in life. But there's also some better things. And Martha thought the meal was more important than the master. But Mary thought the master was more important than the meal. Why are you stressed out? Why are you running around? There's a jillion people on the face of this earth that are chasing after stupid stuff. And they're making first-rate commitments to 10th-rate stuff. And they're giving up their families. They're giving up their integrity. They're giving up everything. And, and, then, they're, and then they're doing the opposite. They're making 10th-rate commitments to first-rate stuff and, and first-rate commitments to 10th-rate stuff. Because they haven't come to the conclusion of what lasts, what matters, why am I here, what's worth, oh goodness, we need to answer this, what's worth my life, what's worthy of giving my one and only shot at life to, am I just chasing my tail, am I just chasing the wind, am I just going after everything that everybody else is going after, no wonder I'm having the same result. What really counts? What really lasts? What really matters? Glenn Angst, he was a, a missionary in China, and he was found out. And as a result, he and his wife and his two kids were placed on house arrest. You think a quarantine's a bad thing for a few months? Uh, they did it for years. Never could leave their house. And so finally, one day, they were waiting to you know, hear from the embassy, the United States embassy, so they could go home and get out of this house arrest. And one day, a Chinese soldier knocked on their door and said, you're leaving today. And you can take 200 pounds of stuff with you. Well, Glenn turns and says, we're leaving. We have 200 pounds. There's four of us. That's 50 pounds each. Well, Glenn's wife didn't think that was enough because she had shoes and she had clothes and she had purses that she wanted to take. And then the kids, they had toys and things like that. And Glenn, he had his computer and he had books. And everybody had an idea of what was really important, what was really worth holding on to. And so they fought and they argued and they finally got it down to 200 pounds. And that afternoon, the Chinese soldier came back, knocked on the door. He said, do you have 200 pounds? And they said, yes. And he said, did, they said, did you weigh, weigh it? And Glenn said, yes, we, we got 200 pounds on the dot. And the Chinese soldier said, did you weigh the kids? Glenn said, I weigh the kids? You need to weigh the kids. And all of a sudden, they had picture-perfect clarity as to what was really important and what wasn't. Do you have that? Years ago, there was a picture in my office. It was in a big frame of the sunlight, you know, Albuquerque sunlight faded the thing, and I had to throw it away. But it had this saying that I, I just looked at over and over again as my kids were growing up. This is what it said. Over uh, 100 years from now, it won't matter what kind of car I drove. Or what kind of house I lived in, how much money I had in my bank account, nor what my clothes look like. But 100 years from now, the world may be a little bit better because I was important in the life of a child. So I wrote some things down. I refused to miss out on reading a book or listening to how my child's day went. I refused to put off having deep relationships with those who are close and far away from God. And I refused to ignore the voice of God that tells me to know him to pray more deeply and to give some time and energy to a cause that's greater than myself.
You got to make a commitment to the things that matter, the things that last. And if you can figure out what those things are, what's really worthy of giving your life to, you can eliminate a lot of stuff that you're doing right now that's stressing you out, that's not worthy of your energy and your effort and your time. You don't want to get to the end of your life making first-rate commitments to 10th-rate stuff. So those are the two questions that I want you to go home and I want you to answer. Now let me give you the one thing that I want you to start doing that I think most of us in this room probably aren't doing. And if you are doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. You ready? This will help you. Make a commitment to take a day off each week. Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because uh, on it, he rested from all of his work of creating that he had done. Okay, so God works seven days and he rests on the seventh day. Why? Was he tired? Does God get tired? Does God sleep? No. Bible says God never sleeps. So God wasn't tired. God didn't say, oh my goodness, I've been working so hard these last six days. I just think I need to rest. That's what I need to do. I need to lay down and get some break here. No, he, he didn't need it. Why'd he do it? He did it as an example for you and for me. It's called the Sabbath. You're supposed to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why was the stay-at-home order so difficult for so many of you? Why is it so difficult for so many of you who are watching me right now? Because we need that moment, that day where we get along with the Lord and we focus all of our effort and all of our energy and our best singing and our best giving on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when we leave this place, we feel refreshed we feel renewed. I'm not trying to guilt anybody who's still watching from home. When you're ready, you'll be ready. But I know you miss it. Because there's something about being in the room and even singing your love songs to the Lord with these dumb masks on. There's something about opening your heart. There's something about shutting all the outside world down and just focusing on your relationship with Him. You leave this place and you have a new commitment to the things of God and to the importance of, the, of what your life is supposed to be about. And you have this renewed commitment, you know, to live your life for him. What renews you? What refreshes you? That's what you're supposed to do on your Sabbath. So I know for those of us in the room and those of us who are watching, it's coming together. It's worshiping the Lord. But for the rest of the day, that one day that you take off, what else do you really love to do? You see, when you take a day off of work, it doesn't mean that you bring home from work to work on. Nor does it mean, ladies, you're going to love this, and gentlemen, you're going to love this. It doesn't mean that you clean your house all day long and do laundry on that day off. Because all you're doing there is replacing one form of work with another form of work. It's where you just, it's one day a week where you get to pick everything you really enjoy. Everything that refreshes you, everything that revitalizes you, everything that fires you up. It's worshiping God. It's maybe going on a walk, listening to worship music. Maybe it's going on a long bike ride. It maybe it's going on a picnic. What do you love to do? You turn the phone away. You, you, you get rid of all distractions and all, all the stress. And it's just your day to have fun with the Lord and with your family. Do you do that? Some of us, you're so busy, you don't even know what you would do if you had a day like that. I don't know what I'd do. I think I'd just sit around and work on my phone all day long. That's all I do. 
What refreshes you? What restores you? What renews you? This is your day. One day of the week where you're not worried about any of the other stuff. Look at what the Bible says here. This is Jesus' prescription for stress. Mark 6, verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He, Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and just get some rest. Jesus' prescription to his disciples was just rest and relaxation. But we're too busy trying to make our name great rather than making his great. We're too busy trying to be a big shot in the eyes of everybody else. Did you hear the story about the Pope? He came to Los Angeles. He was supposed to speak, and his flight was delayed. He was really upset, and so he ran and got in the limousine, and they started heading down the road, and the limo driver wasn't going very fast, so the Pope opened the window up, and he said, man, can you go a little bit quicker? I need to get, I'm late to my meeting. They're expecting me. And the guy driving said, listen, I've had several tickets, and uh, I, I, I can't get one more ticket. I get one more ticket, I'm going to lose my license, I'm going to lose my profession, I'm going to lose my limousine. Pope said, well, do you mind if I go ahead and I drive for you? And the guy said, well, if you want to, I guess that's okay. And so they pulled the car over, and the Pope got in, the guy got in the back seat. Pope is flying now. He's going 75 mile an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. Of course, there's an officer there taking radar, and he pulls the Pope over, doesn't know it's the Pope. So he gets off his motorcycle and he walks up to the car and he's got those, you know, tinted windows and it rolls down. There's the Pope. And the officer's just so taken back that it's the Pope sitting there. He says, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on just a second. I'll, I'll get back to you. So he goes back to his motorcycle and he begins to radio his chief. He says, chief, I, I know we're supposed to give a ticket out to everybody who speeds up and down this corridor, but I can't give a ticket to this guy. And, he, and the chief said, well, what, was he more important than the mayor of Los Angeles? He, he said, yeah, he, he more important than the mayor of Los Angeles. He said, well, is he more important than the governor of California? He said, oh, yeah, he's more important than the governor of California. Is he more important than the president of the United States? He said, yeah, he's more important than the president of the United States. He said, well, who did you pull over? He said, I got no idea, but the Pope is his chauffeur. <laughs> Some of you will get on the ride home, but that's funny. So busy trying to make a name for ourselves. So busy running over here, running over there. Do you realize there's going to be a day when your 401k doesn't matter? There's going to be a day when your SAT and your ACT and all your awards and all your accomplishments and all your achievements and all your promotions don't matter for squat. None of it's going to last. None of it's going to matter. So you better figure out what does. Because love is more important than loot. And people are more important than possessions. And grace is greater than greed. What are you living for? Why are you living the way you're living? And if you had a day where it was just your day to do what you really enjoyed doing, could you do it? Would you do it? Why are you running so fast? Friends, you're leaving a legacy. Your kids are watching. It's how you're living your life worth following. Let me pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's, let's, let's answer the questions. I don't trust you to go home and think this out.
Let's just ask the Lord right now in the quietness of this moment, okay? Why am I living this way? And I'm believing that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. So I'll be still as the music plays in the background. Just ask the Lord, Lord, why do I live the way that I live? Why am I so stressed? Why am I so hurried? And then be still and just whatever pops in your head, he's just trying to reveal something to you. Say, you've got to fix this. This is where you're going after. This is what you're doing. It's not worthy of your time. I'll be quiet. You ask him that question. Why are you living this way? Now repent of it. Tell him, I'm sorry for living that way. I'm sorry that I made that more important. I'm sorry I got sidetracked. Just tell him, you don't want to live that way anymore. Just tell him that right now. Now ask God for some wisdom on what's worth giving your life to. When it gets right down to it, what's, what's eternal? What matters? What lasts? Just ask the Lord to give you crystal clarity. What's worth pursuing in the one only shot that you got with this life? Let the Lord speak to you in this moment. Talk to him about it right now. Lord, too many of us have been chasing the wind. Like William Randolph Hearst, we've got a house full of junk. But our homes are empty. We don't have the time that we need to have to develop the relationships that we really want to develop. Because we think that junk is more important. Lord, we've got to change some things. Or we're going to get to the end of our life with tremendous regrets over what could have been and what should have been. Lord, you've never asked one of these people to sacrifice their family for anything that this world affords. You've never asked any of us to make the stuff of this world more important than your kingdom. Lord, forgive us when we forget what really matters and what really counts. Help us to give our lives to eternal things. And then, Lord, I pray for that Sabbath day that they would come into your house and they would sing their praise songs to you. Lord, that you would refresh them and renew them, that you would give them strength, even though many times they come in here feeling weak. And I pray, Lord, all throughout that Sabbath day, they would enjoy your presence, enjoy each other, and they would get away from the TV and get away from the phone and get away from all the stuff of this world and just enjoy life. Help us to live the way you've called us to live so that we might be the people that you want us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.